coming up on the Shark Fighter podcast. So there are three basic principles of what a patient can do to help themselves feel better. Today, we take a deep dive into one of the rarest forms of sarcoidosis. Dr. Ginny Tavi is one of the leading authorities on not just neurosarcoidosis, but also has a unique approach that helps patients deal with their illness. Now for patients who have been on steroids, weight gain is a very big side effect. And so being very cognizant of what you're eating can make a difference as well. Coming up, Dr. Tavi talks about her three-pronged approach to helping SARC patients have their best shot at successfully fighting the disease. This is the SARC Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Sark Fighter podcast, brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. I'm your host, John Carlin, a fellow Sark Fighter, and I do this podcast to offer Sark Fighters hope and maybe help you connect with other Sark patients to hear their stories, understand how sarcoidosis, uh, sarcoidosis affects their lives, and Hopefully that helps you understand what it is you're up against and what you need to overcome, whether it's the disease itself or sometimes the medications uh, hurt more than the disease and you're dealing with all of it all at the same time and or you're dealing with, with family issues or it just gets inside your head. There's, there's so many things that happen with sarcoidosis and I know because I've been through it um, go through it still on a fairly regular basis. And so, but I, I have found that talking with other people and, and getting to know more about Sark and, and just how other people deal with it and how they see the same things in their lives, or maybe they've found a unique approach to dealing with it. Um, I just find that it's helped me. And I've heard from so many listeners now who say that they've listened to other people and it's helped them. And so that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. And today I have for you one of the top SARC doctors in the United States, Dr. Ginny Tavi. She's at National Jewish Health in Denver, which is a major sarcoidosis center. Now, she is Asian American, and she'll be explaining how her upbringing as an Asian American specifically allows her to implement the best practices of Western medicine with some other practices such as maybe meditation that you might consider alternative therapies. Now, I want to be clear, she she is very much Western medicine first. She treats her patients with those same medications that we hear about all the time on the podcast, methotrexate, prednisone, Remicade, etc., etc., but she has some suggestions for patients, things that they can do to improve their chances of good outcomes of successfully fighting the disease that go for neurosarc patients and for other patients as well. Now, I remember thinking and talking about this on the podcast very early on, being frustrated because my mindset historically always came from being uh, maybe a higher level recreational endurance athlete. So if I had an overuse injury from running too much, so, you know, a sore knee or something like that, or frozen shoulder from lifting weights at the Y or, or a pickup basketball game or something, and, you know, just the aging process, try a baseball pass with a basketball when you're in your early 50s. You know, your, shoulder, your shoulder's going to hurt the next day. But I was always determined to do whatever I had to do with physical therapy, take the anti-inflammatories, put on the ice pack, whatever I could do so I could heal, I could overcome the obstacle and then resume my life as I, as I knew it, right? As I enjoyed it to do the things that I like doing. So then all of a sudden, back in 2016 comes my finally diagnosis with sarcoidosis and I started out the same way. All right, let's beat this thing. What can I do? What? Where's my ice pack? Where's my frozen pack of peas? Uh, give me some ibuprofen. Let's, you know, let's let's dig in. Let's just beat this thing, and and then we'll move on. Well, the thing that's frustrating with sarcoidosis is no amount of diligence or determination 
is going to fix the granuloma that decided it wanted to be on my spinal cord. There was nothing I could do. I said, well, let me, you know, let me eat better and I'll go on the, the full broccoli diet. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll, I'll run from here to Montana. I live in Virginia. Uh, you know, I, you know, what, what's it going to take? How do, how do I beat this thing? How do I, how do I approach this the way I've always approached these, these injuries that I've had, mostly, mostly nagging injuries, um, that, you know, that I can just get back to my normal life. Well, there, there was nothing, there's nothing you could do. I, I was at a loss as to how to attack sarcoidosis other than to sit back and take my medicine. But since then, you've heard me talk about working with a nutritionist, Lindsay Norenberg, who runs a company called Nourish by Lindsay, uh, whom I met through her husband, Ryan. Uh, and both of them have been on the Sark Fighter podcast because Ryan has a, a severe case of sarcoidosis. And now Lindsay has started, she, she pivoted and, and became a certified nutritionist. And she advises me and she started to advise more and more people. And so it's nourished by Lindsay and um, her, um, her information is in the show notes. Um, but the, the bottom line is, is that she got me on something called the elimination diet. And she's helped me figure out these foods that are inflammatory. And, and I've told you on the podcast and I continue to tell you that I think it makes a difference. I, I know it has made a difference for me. And, you know, on a side note, you know that uh, very often I talk about how much I love to ride my bicycle and I ride a lot by most people's standards. Um, give you an idea, I rode a 61-mile ride just this past weekend in celebration of my 61st birthday. That's a challenge people do. You try to ride your your birthday number in miles, um, and I did it, and I felt pretty darn good about it. We averaged almost 16 miles an hour riding in the mountains here in western Virginia, and you know, that's a huge accomplishment for me. But the bottom line is, is that I am using diet and exercise to try and have the best outcomes when I face sarcoidosis. And I, and I am a person who believes that diet and exercise help. Well, my doctors along the way have encouraged me to stay fit and active, but I've never had anyone sit me down and say, look, you've got to go ride your bike 61 miles and you've got to eat broccoli and that's how you're going to beat sarcoidosis. And I'm, I'm using broccoli metaphorically here. Uh, but Dr. Tavi, uh, while she's not saying that that's going to cure sarcoidosis, she is very forward in saying that diet and exercise are a part of the equation, a big part of a successful equation, along with some mind-body things therapy, things like yoga, meditation, qigong, and other eastern therapies like tai chi. And she's going to be talking about all of this and how she kind of approaches this coming up in just a few minutes. Now, first though, I just have to take a moment. I have to brag that my sixth grandchild was born a week ago. Her name is Addison. And my wife, Mary, and I now have all these grandkids, all six under four years old. They all live locally here in Roanoke, Virginia, in the western part of the, the state of Virginia. And we see our grandkids all the time. And there's nothing like a grandchild or six to give you a reason to live and to live well. So, um, if you look at my Instagram page, The Sark Fighter, sometimes it'll just be a picture of one of my grandkids and the words keep fighting, meaning that there's a reason to push through and to get ahead of Sark. So Dr. Tavi gives you a few more options beyond just taking your prednisone and wondering why it had to be you that Sark decided to attack. Dr. Tavi is very involved with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and she'll be sharing her advice and her insight next here on the Sark Fighter Podcast. I feel like a zombie Just feeding and stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. 
Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. And joining me now is Dr. Ginny Tavi, Associate Professor and the Chief of the Division of Neurology at National Jewish Health in Denver. And more importantly, she is an expert on neurosarcoidosis. Dr. Tavi, thanks for joining me. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, I've, I've watched a lot of your, um, your, your discussions. You've done a lot of stuff with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and, and you, you sort of have a, a certain approach to dealing with neurosarcoidosis. What, what would your three-pronged approach be? Well, there's my part, and then there's the patient part. So my part is to get the disease under control. Um, I would love to be able to say, I'm going to, I have a magic wand, I'm going to make it go away, but I can't. And so my number one goal is to arrest the disease and hopefully put you back in, a, in remission. That's my goal. And we do that with a series of uh, medications and treatments uh, that can be done as an inpatient or an outpatient. Now, what can you do as a patient and that would be three things that I always tell my patients. So I'm told that people who went to uh, the London School of Economics or Harvard Business School will always start out a, a speech or they always say, I always have three things to tell you. There are three things that I have to say. So there are three basic principles of what a patient can do to help themselves feel better. And that is nutrition, exercise, and mind-body therapies. Got it. So let's break that down. Uh, and uh, people who listen to this podcast know that uh, I work with a nutritionist. Uh, I've been through the elimination diet. We've looked for foods that um, can reduce inflammation in the body, things like gluten and sugar. Uh, what do you advise people to do nutritionally? That's exactly what I tell them. So nutrition is it's not going to cure your sarcoidosis, right? If you've got uh, brain sarcoidosis, if you take this route, it's not gonna make it go away, but um, nutrition can help support your body's immune system. Um, it can reduce inflammation and it can also make you feel better. Now for patients who have been on steroids, weight gain is a very big side effect. And so being very cognizant of what you're eating can make a difference as well. So the number one thing that I always recommend patients is to cut gluten. There is not enough literature to support this, um, but there is some uh, that gluten may be pro-inflammatory. And the last thing you need is more inflammation. So gluten, as uh, most people know, is found, it's a protein that's found in wheat. And, uh, but it's also in things that you wouldn't really think of like soy sauce. So you have to be careful when you go to a Chinese restaurant and make sure that you uh, get a gluten-free tamari or things like that. But that's one. And the second thing is um, if you want to uh, watch your weight, cut carbs. Now that doesn't mean the keto diet where you're cutting out fruits and, and some vegetables, but I'm thinking about bread, pasta, even rice and rice is part of a healthy meal, but if we're trying to lose weight and maintain while we're on 60 milligrams of prednisone a day and trying not to let our face get huge, then that's going to be important. Um, also cutting sugar, uh, candy, cakes, cookies, all the stuff that we love to eat, ice cream. People make fun of me because I eat all this fake ice cream that doesn't have sugar. It's natural sweeteners, but it doesn't taste like ice cream. But that these are some things that you can do that are very easy. Now, the other thing I talk about nutrition is to simplify things. Um, and I've heard this before. Don't buy it if you can't pronounce it. Start looking at the ingredients of what you're buying. And if it's a lot of chemicals, then don't buy it. Buy things with whole foods or real food. You don't have to go to whole food. You know, you'll go and buy five things. It'll be $50. But just get things that are real, like fruits and vegetables and chicken and fish. Uh, and that's what I tell my patients. Protein, protein, protein is your friend, especially in patients who have neuropathy or spinal cord or brain sarcoidosis. You really need protein. And, and I know that some people are vegetarian, but if you are not, I would recommend fish, chicken. Uh, if you have to have red meat, have a lean cut of red meat. And Grass, then for grass fed beef. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't <laughs> Just, matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. I mean, yes, grass fed beef 
free range chicken, organic fruits and vegetables. It's all great, but it's all expensive. So just be savvy about it. I just want you to eat healthy. Okay. Uh, fish, chicken, lean cuts of red meat, nuts. If you're not allergic to nuts, I love almond butter. Um, pistachios are known as the skinny nut. They're good for your eyes. They have a lot of, I think it's a vitamin, uh, I'm going to say it's vitamin A or retinol. And the thing is um, they're small and they're only 120, 160 calories for one quarter cup. Now you don't want to go crazy on the nuts because they are high calorie. And then the second thing is fruits and vegetables. If you're a diabetic, if you're on steroids, you do have to be a little bit careful about the amount of bananas you have, but things like um, the berries are, are relatively low in sugar. So those are some things you can have. And then um, if you need to, if you absolutely need to, then you can have some whole grains. But like I said, if you can cut gluten, I would. But that's my diet, chicken, fish, fruits, vegetables, nuts. That's what I eat. And, and the, again, the reason behind that is you're avoiding things that cause inflammation in your body, which the sarcoidosis is already doing. Correct. Correct. And you're maintaining um, a healthy diet in terms of not eating things that are bad for you, things that are going to make you feel heavy, you know, or tired. It's going to give you energy and it's good for your metabolic processes and it's good for your brain and your spinal cord. Wow. Okay. So let's back up a little bit because one of the things I hear from the myriad of patients that I've interviewed is that it's difficult for them to be properly diagnosed. How do you, as a neurologist with a specialty in sarcoidosis, how do you know when it's SARC that's causing somebody's problem? And that's an actually a great question because this is one of the most difficult things about neurosarcoidosis is, you know, if you've got it in the lung, they put a camera down, they take a little piece and then they biopsy, right? Very simple. If it's in your brain or your spinal cord, it is very, it is not simple. It's actually quite challenging because you have elegant structures in that area. If you go just a millimeter to the right, you could be paralyzed for life. And I had a patient uh, many years ago, he, he's just, he's a lovely guy. And he was only in his mid twenties when I first met him, he was a medical student and he had um, two masses in his brain that people thought, oh, could it be, <clears throat> could it be TB? Could it be cancer? We, we did, they didn't know. And what they did was they biopsy, but not just biopsy. They took a huge chunk of his right frontal lobe. And then brain. They, they took a piece of his brain out. Oh yeah. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And they couldn't get enough tissue. So guess what they did? They went in to the other side and took even more. And when he came to see me, he had been on, and they eventually found out it was sarcoidosis. He'd been on very high doses of prednisone. Okay. And this guy, they showed me a picture of what he looked like. He looked like he just stepped out of a J crew catalog before everything started. He was a handsome guy. He married this beautiful girl who could have been Miss Kentucky. She was just lovely. And they had just had a baby when he was sick. But when I saw him, he was at least 150 pounds overweight. He was sleepy. He couldn't answer any of the questions. He was confused. His parents had to ask the questions. And his wife, you know, was just, she had the baby and she was just doing her best. She was supporting the family. Um, on her salary. And this little baby, this two-year-old was, or one-year-old was running around the room. And he even said at one point, who's that baby? And they said, that's, that's your son. Cause he, he was so off. He couldn't, he couldn't um, focus, couldn't concentrate. So we got him on the right medications. We got him on infliximab, which is a very powerful drug. And then we put him on another medication and then we reduced his steroids. And then years later, um, maybe a year later, um, he came back to see me and he was so, he looked normal. He was playing with his kid. Um, he was uh, walking around, he was sharp. And, you know, he was asking me, well, Dr. Tabby, how did I get this? You know, and I said, you know, I'm so sorry. We, we don't know right now. We think it could be, you know, something in the environment, could be asbestos, could be something in the military exposure but we do know that it is something you probably inhale. 
We know from the firefighters from 9-11, you know, a lot of them who had been previously healthy came down with sarcoidosis right after 9-11. So um, that's why we think it's something you handle. He goes, well, I think I know what it is. And I said, you do? He's got that very charming Kentucky accent. He goes, well, I think it's bravery because the firefighters are brave and I'm brave. So it's got, I was like, I love that. But I love that for many reasons, not just because it's funny and it's charming, but also because it shows that he has enough insight to tell a joke. This is the same guy who didn't know who his kid was. So the best way to diagnose sarcoidosis in the brain and spinal cord is to get tissue outside of the brain and spinal cord. Use other clues to give you the diagnosis. Use the MRI, use the spinal fluid, use a tissue from the lung, and then you use inference that, okay, this is probably related to whatever's going on in the lung or whatever's going on in the um, the bone, even in the heart, they can do a biopsy of the heart that's safer than doing it in the brain with spinal cord. Yeah, well, I know that firsthand. <laughs> I, I had a biopsy on my spinal cord and uh, I've never been the same since. Um, even though I would say that my disease is controlled right now. Um, but yeah, so um, I wish someone had thought of that, but they thought I had cancer. They, they had the MRI. They could see the, they could see the, the blob, if you will, the white blob for you. I'm sure the mass, there's lots of more clinical terms, but I'm trying to use language uh, that I understand and that other patients understand. Um, and it was growing and it wasn't responding to whatever drug they were giving me for transverse myelitis. So um, they decided, yeah, let's do, let's do a biopsy. That just seemed like the thing to do. But, uh, you know, I think I probably had a group that just wasn't familiar with sarcoidosis. Right. Um, so if you have a brain mass or spinal cord issue or some kind of neurologic problem, what I always recommend, and sarcoidosis could be, could be a diagnosis. Yeah. I always recommend the body. If you have good insurance, I would do a PET scan. And those PET scans or CTs are going to tell you, is anything else lighting up? Is there anything else I can go after? In addition to that, you do spinal uh, fluid and then, and then you biopsy whatever you can see. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I don't want to talk about me. I just, uh, I just, it's so amazing what you're saying and how it, how it relates to my situation. And, and this podcast is for me, it's a part of personal growth as well, because the more I learn about the situation, the, uh, the more I, the more I understand, the more I take in. And it's, it's just a, it's a personally, it, it helps me grow as well. So, so you find that and you diagnose it. Um, you, and, and I want to get back to your two other things. So I don't want listeners to think that we're not going to get back because we talked about food a little bit. And it's amazing that you are right on the same path that, that, uh, Lindsay Nuremberg, my nutritionist, who I've mentioned many times uh, uh, on the podcast, has, has said, um, let's talk about small fiber neuropathy. What is it? What If someone's listening to this and they're thinking, oh, I had that or I think I have it, how, how do you describe small fiber neuropathy? What's it feel like? What's it look like? How does it manifest? So there are, this is a very simple way of thinking about the nerves in your body. There are two kinds of nerves, small and large. If you have large fiber neuropathy, you can have numbness and tingling, right? Nerves do sensation to the body. So if you have large fiber neuropathy, this is the, the large nerve fibers, you have numbness, tingling, and maybe some gait instability, okay, and some weakness. Small fiber does numbness and tingling too, but it also does burning, pain, needle-like sensation. It feels like hot lava on your skin and it doesn't follow the rules. Meaning in a typical neuropathy, you've heard of patients who have diabetes and they have numbness and tingling in their feet, right? Sarcoidosis in particular and small fiber neuropathy, it can just be in your feet, but it can be in your face. It can be in your trunk. It can be in your pelvis. It can be in your arm and it migrates. It doesn't stay in one place. And it can be here in your face for just a few minutes and they can go in your arms. I've had a number of patients. Sometimes I have to ask for it. Tell me that it's in their, um, in their perineal or pelvic region, you know, where it's in their private parts. And they're so embarrassed to say anything, but it's real and it's burning and it hurts. 
Um, and but it'll just be there for five minutes, and they're they're thinking that they're crazy, and they're not. What you're feeling is real. And what it is, is that sarcoidosis causes inflammation of the nerves. We don't know exactly how it does. We think it's through a protein called cytokine, C-Y-T-O-K-I-N-E-S. And this is what we're thinking is in post-COVID syndrome too, the long haulers, these cytokines. And Mm -hmm. so patients will come to me and they say, you know, it's like a thousand needles sticking in my face. It's like hot lava running up and down my leg. Or I feel like my sock is rolled up at the end of the shoe and it really can drive you batty. The sarcoidosis small polymerapathy can do another part though, um, and that is called autonomic neuropathy or the autonomic nervous system. Autonomic is known as the automatic parts of your body that are not under your voluntary control. Think of what happens when you see a bear. What happens when you see a bear? I just went hiking, so this is what I thought of it. So your muscles get big, right? your heart rate goes faster, your blood pressure goes up, you wet your pants, you start sweating. And these are things that you don't control on a normal basis. Unfortunately, this is what small nerve fibers control. And so not only do you have numbness and tingling in your feet, but over half of the patients that we saw in one of our clinical trials who had small thermography would have autonomic dysfunction. The common ones are things like GI upset, where you are bloated um, and all you ate was a carrot, you know, and you you look down, you're like, oh, I could have gotten the same effect with chocolate cake, right? Right. But you bloat, you have alternate diarrhea, constipation. Another common one I see is sweating. You sweat way too much. And I had this, I remember when I was in Cleveland, I had this one woman who came from Florida she was sweating so profusely. This is February in Cleveland, okay? So it's freezing. She comes and I had to get her three towels during the visit because she just kept, she was just soaking wet. Um, and then of course, palpitations. You can, um, your heart rate goes up and down. And then when you stand up, your blood pressure just suddenly drops. So we see that quite a bit in patients who have sarcoidosis, small fiber neuropathy. So is that when you stand up and you're lightheaded? Is that what you're saying? That is absolutely right. Okay. Um, hmm. <laughs> is that, that happens to me all the time, all the time. In fact, I was, I was emceeing a local event and I squatted down uh, next to the podium to talk to somebody who came up to the stage that I knew. And when I stood up, I passed out right in front of the audience. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so yes. sorry. Oh, and I, you know, and I like, I started to regain consciousness before I even hit the floor, but I reached for the podium, which was on wheels. And there was a wine glass up there and the wine glass shattered and everybody looked up. Oh, it was a spectacle. So that was just, that was when I just recently during a time where I would say that I am, you know, recovered. Should I be concerned? No, I, unfortunately patients who have spinal cord dysfunction, and we know this from patients who have had spinal cord trauma you can also have autonomic dysfunction because the autonomic nervous fiber, autonomic nerve fibers run along the spinal cord. So it's very possible that you, you got that. And, and many people have the same response. When I stand up quickly, and I, I don't have sarcoidosis, when I stand up quickly, I get a little dizzy, but in patients with autonomic dysfunction, it's more pronounced. You'll faint, but I'll just feel a little dizzy and it goes away. So that's the difference. Right, well, that's the first time I ever fainted. Um, but yeah, that was, that was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> uh, and it's still, you know, it's still like if I squat down and stand up quickly, uh, you know, I'll get lightheaded and, and now I know to just grab a wall just in case if it feels like it's, it's a little bit intense, but, um, I was attributing that to, you know, whatever, not to sarcoidosis, but that is, that is, that's probably related to the damage on my spinal cord. Could be, yes, yeah. could be. And, I, and I, I, I don't mind using myself as a case study so that other people who are listening can, can maybe relate. So um, what do you do about the small fiber neuropathy? So there, because we think it's inflammation, then we use medications to treat that. But because we don't know exactly what is the inflammatory mediator, what is the protein, then we kind of have to go with a shotgun approach. Um, typical medications like azathioprine, methotrexate, steroids, most people who have sarcoidosis have heard of these drugs, don't work. Uh, they, they're, and it's different. Your sarcoidosis in the lungs, in the heart, 
that could be stable. And yet the small fibromyopathy goes on and on. What we found in our clinical trial is IVIG, IV, which is intravenous. IG is immune globulin. So thousands of people donate their blood. They clean out the red blood cells and all that's left uh, is our antibodies or immune globulins. We infuse that into patients and then we do it over, you know, it just depends on what the dose is, but one to five days. And then uh, that medication reduces inflammation in your body in a shotgun approach, meaning it reduces cytokines, it reduces complement activation. Um, and we don't know exactly how IVIG works, but in our clinical trial, I think that it was 75% or more experienced some sort of improvement. Wow. Uh, but the downside is, is, is it's expensive. It's about $50,000 for one round. And we usually do three rounds. Some patients are on it for years. Some people only need it for one or two years. But, you know, I had a, one, my first patient that we ever uh, treated, it was with Dan Culver at, at Cleveland Clinic with, with this was a, he worked for the Minneapolis Police Department uh, before all the controversy. Anyway, so he came down uh, in, I, I think, 2007. And this was a, a nice, normal guy. Um, and he, he's the one who told me every time I open up a, a door and the wind comes in, it really does feel like a thousand knives just cutting on my face. And it, and it was in his body as well. But he told me this, and I've had a number of patients tell me the same thing over the last 20 years. And that is, um, I'm not suicidal. I, I'm not... I wouldn't say that I'm depressed, but if I don't wake up tomorrow, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. And it's, it's sad and I get it. I get it. And so, um, you know, I had found one case report in the literature about IVIG, just one little case report. And I called Dan and I was like, can we do this? And this is before insurance companies kind of um, cracked down on medication. So he goes, yeah, let's do it. And so we did it and we did it for a few months. When he came down from Minneapolis the next time in follow-up at six months, he rode his motorcycle with his wife on the back of the motorcycle and he was doing great. We actually got him into remission. So he was on IBIG for a couple of years and then he was on nothing and he was doing phenomenal. Uh, he was doing phenomenally well, but then he relapsed and we had to put him back on, on, on medication. We actually had to add another medication called infliximab, also known as Remicade, and he's doing well on that now. Infliximab and adalimumab, also known as Humira, can also work for small fiber neuropathy. And I used to do combination therapy, meaning I would do IVIG plus um, infliximab or adalimumab. And it works too. I think it's a maybe 60 to 70% improvement. But the problem is I've started to get a lot of complications. So I'm not doing as much combination therapy now. I'll do one or the other. And right now I've got just Yes. I, and they feel sick. There's something about the combination. So I, I'll still do it if I have to, if nothing is working, but right now I'm doing one or the other if I can. So as a physician, you're treating somebody and you think you've got the right cocktail figured out. How frustrating is it? Do you, I mean, do you just sit down and put your head in your hands and say, I can't figure out what's going on with this patient? Well, we, we know what's going on, right? It's just how do we get the best treatment? And so that's where clinical trials and research comes in. And I just got a grant, a teeny tiny grant to look at what happens in the body, what kind of cytokines are being activated during small fibromyopathy. So we're going to be running that over the next several months. Um, and then maybe we can find a target. What, wouldn't it be great if we can say, oh, it's this protein. So we create an antibody against that protein. And I'm also looking at a new drug that's coming out for another um, disease with a drug company. And I'm going to see if that one works. We're always looking for new things. So yes, you can put your head in your hands or you can take your head and look up and say, what's out there? What can I get for my patient? What can I do to improve their lives? Yeah. You talked about in one of your, um, one of your lectures, ARI 290. What is that? So this is a, a new compound. It's not yet on the market. It's also known as sabenatide. This is what we call an erythropoietin agonist or an erythropoietin lookalike. Erythropoietin, um, some patients may know it's EPO. 
It's a red blood cell booster. We all have it. I have it. You have it. And in patients who have cancer, you know, who have anemia, they have to be given these shots. EPO. You called, you said EPO, but like EPO. when I think of, when I think of uh, doping, EPO is, I've heard it pronounced EPO as like three letters, but yeah, go ahead. And it's the same one. It's okay. Same, and, and I used to make jokes, but um, so anyway, this drug, we know erythropoietin actually reduces inflammation. And so that's the, that's the um, reasoning behind using sibenetide. Uh, and we did a phase 2B clinical trial with the drug company, Aram Pharmaceuticals, and it worked. It worked. It's an injection that you, and it improved um, uh, small fiber neuropathy measurements. It improved pain. I had patients who were on it and these were patients. And we found out later that she was on it. She didn't get the placebo. She said, usually I would just sit in my house, but now I can go shopping. I can do my groceries. I can cook, I can clean. And of course the clinical trial is over now and it's still not on the market. I think it got orphan drug status, but uh, they're not going to do anything with sarcoidosis right now. They're looking for a bigger indication, but it's there. And, and like I said, we're looking for more specific therapies that we can use for sarcoidosis, small neuropathy. Otherwise, it's going to be Band-Aids, meaning here's another pain medication, right? Here's something else that's going to play Jedi mind tricks on you to make you think that you don't have that much pain. But um, I'm looking for a, call, uh, a treatment, a disease-modifying treatment. Let me ask you this, because I've always sort of operated on the premise that sarcoidosis is sarcoidosis is sarcoidosis. And if you get it in your lungs, you get it in your heart, you get it in your brain, you get it in your spinal cord, it's all sarcoidosis. And it's all going to respond to whatever treatment the same way. But I'm here you saying that neurosarc is different. Did, am, am I assuming beyond what you suggested? So neurosarcoidosis is what we use to describe brain and spinal cord, um, and then large nerve fibers and muscle. It is um, similar in that if you've got lung disease and you've got heart disease and then brain disease and they give you infliximab, all three can get better. Um, sometimes neurosarcoidosis is more difficult to treat. We have to be way more aggressive in, in some cases. And actually many patients, you know, the pulmonologist would, would say, there's no way that we need infliximab. And I said, oh, yes way, we do need it because he's got it in his brain. We've got to use it now. Um, but small fiber neuropathy is different. Now, it is not neurosarcoidosis. We can't call it that because of a big technicality. You probably have heard of granulomas. Non-necrotizing granulomas is the pathologic hallmark, meaning if I cut up your heart, if I cut up your lung and I cut up your brain, it's all gonna show the same thing. Non-casing aiding granulomas, that's the cause of neurosarcoidosis and all other forms of sarcoidosis. Not so for small fiber neuropathy, it's not granulomas. It is, as we say, we think it's just cytokines, circulating cytokines in your body. You won't find granulomas there. And, and unless there's a certain special case where it's like sitting on a nerve, but otherwise, that's why it doesn't respond to the same treatments. That's why we have to think outside the box to find something to treat it. Neurosarcoidosis only affects 5% of patients with systemic disease, five to 10%. Of sarcoidosis so, patients. Oh yeah, it's very rare. Um, right. Not and unfortunately, John, not rare to you. It's, it's like the negative lottery and you won. Yeah, <laughs> so, great, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so there's what, 200,000 sarcoidosis patients with all types of sarcoidosis in the United States. So 5% of that would be the number of people of neurosarc. Five to 10%, right? Yeah. Great. But all fiber neuropathy up to 40% at okay. least. Yeah. Okay. So it's a totally different ball game. And that's why um, pulmonologists um, know about this. Pulmonologists, when they see large, or they see brain, they're like, Oh, the neurosarcoidosis specialist needs to take care of this. But if it's small fiber neuropathy, they see it all the time. They see it all the time. 40% is a big number. So people are listening to this and they're saying, yeah, I've got my socks feel like they're balled up under my feet or I've got tingling, you know, between my knees and my ankles and it's there every day. What should they do about that? Well, who do, who do they go see? What do they, how do they describe it to their doctor and what should the doctor look for? 
So describe it exactly how you feel it. Um, I have numbness and tingling in my feet. Um, I have it in my face, in my trunk. And so the first thing that they do is to do blood work. The number one cause of neuropathy and small fibroneuropathy worldwide is diabetes. And people have been on steroids. Unfortunately, you can get diabetes just from the steroids. But look for diabetes. A hemoglobin A1C is the protein or the lab that you need to um, get. And in fact, the guy who invented uh, sabenatide or RA290 is the one who discovered hemoglobin A1C. Huh. Uh, yeah, the, the lab. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is probably alcohol use. So if you're drinking alcohol, and even with my basis with Neurosark, I'll say cut it if you can, just cut it. Number three, it may be family history. Uh, we don't know. So you have to ask, does Aunt Edna have it? Did my dad have it? Because if that's what it is, then it's not the SARC. Or it could be, but family history is driving it. Get a B12 level. Um, this is such an easy thing to fix. You just get the B12 injections or under the tongue. There are other two other labs that can help that may be more sensitive than B12. And this is homocysteine and methylmalonic acid or MMA. And your doctor, this is your primary care physician can order all of this for you. Right, right. And okay. The, the, they, they will tell you that, if, oh, your B12 is normal. If you look at the lab, it's not going to give you an accurate view. It's got to be over 400. That's a neurologist normal level. So make sure you look at the level and don't trust what the lab says. Um, and then you look for other vitamins. You look for thyroid dysfunction, but you just do the lab work first. The next step is to confirm what you have if you need to. And so you can do an EMG, which is a really fun test where I shock you and I stick needles in you. I don't get many Christmas cards, uh, but that can tell you if there's large fiber disease. And then the, the number one confirmatory test that we do here in the US is a skin biopsy. And it's just a little teeny tiny punch biopsy. And John, you can learn how to do this yourself. It's very simple, although I don't want you to do it on yourself. Okay, thank you anyone else, but it's just a very simple punch biopsy of your ankle and your thigh. You send it off to a lab. They count the number of nerve fibers in that skin. That's it. And then they confirm, do you or do you not have small neuropathy? And it's about, I want to say it's about 87% um, accurate. 13 of hundred people, we will miss it. We just will. And then um, if that's confirmed and we confirm that it is from sarcoidosis, if everything else has been excluded and ruled out, then what we would do is talk about treatments. IVIG is one. That's the number one thing I usually do because it's relatively safe. You know, it's, it's a blood product. So you may be allergic to it. You can get headache. That's the number one complication, but it's so simple. And uh, little kids who are born without an immune system have to take it for the rest of their lives. So uh, it's, it's safe. And then if that doesn't work, or we think that you have other organ system involved, then we do infliximab or uh, Adelie Okay. So, so I, I want to make sure I'm, if you have small fiber neuropathy, do you have sarcoidosis or do you not have sarcoidosis? Oh, no. I mean, it, do you already have the, the question is, do you already have sarcoidosis? Do you already have that diagnosis? Okay. And then, so, yeah, because I want to make sure that, um, like I would, I have tingling in my legs all the time, every day. I would describe that as small fiber neuropathy. No, no, that so um, that's from spinal cord injury. Okay, so there, body that can cause it. You know, certain parts of the brain. You can have large fiber, spinal cord. You can have a bad disc, right? A bad disc mm -hmm. your on a nerve. But these are patients where their brain is fine, their spinal cord is fine. It's um, it's something else. Everything else is fine. Got it. I want to go to your second. Uh, pronged approach to treating this. The first was diet. You, then you said exercise. What do you recommend for exercise? So the number one, uh, there are four rules of exercise, exercise that the, the head neurophysical therapist at the Cleveland Clinic once taught me. And um, the number one rule that I remember off the top of my head right now is the two hour rule. And I love this rule. My, my surgeon friends love this rule. The two hour rule is this. Many of our patients say, well, how much can I do? How much is too much, right? The two hour rule is this. If you do something, let's say you do the elliptical for 20 minutes, 
Two hours later, you should feel neutral or refreshed. You should not feel tired. Right after the workout, you could feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so sore, blah, blah, blah. That was such a huge workout. But two hours later, you'll be normal. If you did too much though, you'll feel tired. So you have to go back and adjust that. That is too much, the two hour gauge. The second one was do something every day. It doesn't even matter what you like. I mean, it, I'm sorry. It doesn't even matter what it is. I have one patient who was so sick from the steroids. All he could do was walk around his house and go to the mailbox. Now he's doing okay. Now he's doing okay. But just do something every day. Now for patients who are healthier, what we aim for is 150 minutes a week. That's the aim. That's not what we do, but you can do it in any combination, 150 minutes a week. And this is what they're recommending for patients with diabetes and metabolic syndrome. Obviously, we want you to do aerobic activity if you can, but even if it's just walking, even if it's lifting weights, it counts. So 150 minutes a week. Uh, number three, pick something you like. If you don't like it, you're not going to do it, right? What's the number one month that everybody joins a gym? January. Yeah. What's the month that everybody quits the gym? February. Is <laughs> so it that soon? To, okay. That soon. So you have to pick something you like. I don't care if it's Zumba or Jazzercise or, you know, anything, just do it and do it consistently. And the fourth rule is no pain, no gain does not apply to my patients because you are going to pay for it. You know, I have patients who have spinal cord disease or brain disease or leg um, or severe nerve disease and they just do too much. They think, ah, I got to feel the burn, right? No, not right. And the reason why is because you do too much one day, you're out for the count for three days, then you can't do anything. So everything in moderation. Got it. And then you're very, very big into this sort of mind body approach to, yeah. to, so this is the emotional aspect, I guess, of, of coming to terms with what's going on and finding peace. No. Not just that, it actually does, it, there have been clinical trials that have shown, shown that it helps with balance. Actually, we did a clinical, clinical trial. It helps with balance. Um, it can help with nerve regeneration, um, a little bit marginal, marginal nerve regeneration. It helps reduce the amount of cortisol that's produced by the body. It can reduce inflammation. It can maybe even help you live longer. They've done studies where they looked at all these little clinical trials of meditation that were done 50 years ago, and they watched patients over the next several decades. And patients who were in the study lived longer than patients who didn't do meditation. So, 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 okay, this, this is completely foreign to me, meditation. How do you start? What do you do? What, what is the secret? You don't just sit in a room and look at the wall. How do you do it? No, no. So um, just to backtrack uh, in the in the umbrella of mind body therapies, right? That includes things like yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, which is a Chinese form of exercise that's similar to Tai Chi, and sitting meditation. Um, and what it is, is these are all practices that help you with awareness. Okay, so awareness of your surroundings, awareness of what's going around you, instead of judging, it's a non-judgmental awareness because many patients with sarcoidosis, you know, the thing that they think of is why me? You know, why me? This is terrible. Why do I have to go through this? I was a good person. I don't deserve this. And, and all this stuff. And it goes on and on and on. And the, the, the thing about meditation is it gets you out of your head. And that's what we need to do, get out of our head. And things like movement meditation, is is a lot easier for my, my patients than uh, sitting meditation, just sitting in a room. If you've never done it before and you just start sitting in a room and trying to torture yourself by putting yourself in an Indian style on the ground with nothing behind you, then no, it's not going to work at all. You're going to start thinking and thinking and thinking. But um, so I think that the easiest thing you can do is just to um, start with movement meditation. A lot of people know about yoga. You can do yoga. Tai Chi is a Chinese exercise that's actually a martial art if you do it quickly. It's, um, you've seen those 90-year-old women on TV in Hong Kong who are doing these slow movements right. in the park. Yes, yes. Right. So, But they're actually, if you do it quickly, it's a defense move. 
Um, and I was telling one patient who has neurosarcoidosis, oh, they thought he had neurosarcoidosis, he ended up having something else in his brain. He's the CEO and founder of a, a company. I mean, he's one of these guys, right? And I told him, and he was having some issues. So I said, why don't you start doing Tai Chi? It's going to help you with balance. We know it does. British Medical Journal did a big study on Tai Chi and balance. It definitely help. And he's like, Tai Chi? I don't do Tai Chi. I ski. You know, he's doing all these fancy things that fancy people do, right? And I said, just try it. Just try it. Because he was taking some leave from work. Six months later, he came back. And I told him, try the 24 short forms, the Yang 24 short form. He came back. He now teaches the 108 long form Tai Chi to kids and adults in, in the Chicago area. I mean, that's how transforming it was for him. Um, but if you want to try sitting meditation, sitting meditation is the easiest thing you can do. You do not have to torture yourself. Sit on a couch, right? Sit, sit in a chair, sit in a comfortable position, but sit by yourself. No, no um, iPod, no phone close the light, turn off the lights, close the door and just make it quiet. And the first thing you do is just put your awareness either on your heart body center, which is about two or three inches above your navel, or you can put it right under your nose and you just observe your breath and you don't judge it. You just sit there and you just observe your breath. For some patients whose mind keeps um, um, being distracted, then you can count the breaths. One. Too. And you can just do it for five minutes, set your clock for five minutes and just do it for that. And that's how you can start. It's very, very easy. An, easy, an even easier method is what I recommend for patients who are driving because you can't really do that. But even if you're in the office is you just sit there and you take five deep breaths. And this was the method that was taught by a Buddhist monk that passed away just recently in Thailand to people all over the world. And you just take five deep breaths. You just do this. That's one. You do it five times and it can reset you. And then even easier, I'm going easy, easy, easy. So the easiest thing you can do is let's say that you're at your computer and you're typing away, you're at work, you're at home, you're stressed out. The mailbox is full the phone is ringing, you've got text messages coming out the wazoo and it's just too much, stop and look out the window. If you've got a window, just look out the window. If you don't have a window, look at the ceiling, look at the corner of your room. And what that does is it resets your mind just for a moment. It's like your own personal control alt delete for all my Microsoft users, right? Control alt delete, just, it's a task ender, right? So you need to end that task just for a moment. It's not gonna last that long, but it's sometimes shifting your gaze shifts you out of your thoughts and it'll get you back to where you need to be. Interesting. And you know, it's, it's uh, sort of interesting to talk to an MD who embraces Eastern approaches to treatment. Usually it's one or the other and never the twain shall meet. Well, so as a disclaimer, so you can see me, John, but um, I'm actually Asian American. Um, my father is Chinese and my mother is Thai. My mother, who was a nurse, um, actually became a Buddhist monk about when she was 53. You know, she waited until my brother and I finished medical school and then she ordained as a Buddhist monk. And she now lives in Thailand in the rainforest. We built her, well, I just gave her money. And then she, she built a, a meditation center and she teaches meditation to people from all over the world for free. And uh, so uh, I grew up with uh, meditation in my life since I was um, a little girl. She used to bribe me. She would pay me, you know, 50 cents to do meditation when I was a child. So I've been doing this um, for about 30 years, over 30 years. So what's more effective, the Eastern approach or the Western approach? Well, I think it's a combination, right? If you're bleeding from every orifice, I'm not going to tell you to go do Tai Chi. <laughs> right, right. I do with everything that I can using conventional medicine that I know works with clinical trial data behind it. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do my part. You can do your part and you can make your life so much better that way. Interesting. Now, you mentioned Qigong. Mm -hmm. What's that? So Qigong, like I said, it's very similar to Tai Chi. It's a, a set of movements 
that are um, associated with the breath. So you'll do take a deep breath, you'll stretch out your arms and make them move this and then you'll just let it go. And it's a coordinated series of movements and there are different kinds. We're actually in the middle of a clinical trial right now. Um, when, I, when I was at Northwestern, I started it. Now we're con continuing it with National Jewish and it's Qigong, Qigong using Zoom for patients with diabetic neuropathy to see if it reduces pain. And so far we've got some preliminary data, it does reduce pain. And you don't have to leave your house, you just do these exercises where again, you just stretch your arms and it's a specific kind of exercise, but we do it with, um, there's a Buddhist monk that I know, she's a chaplain at Stanford and she teaches it. Um, so yeah, there are many things that you can do at home and that's Qigong. So if somebody's listening right now and they say, huh, Qigong, all right, I wanna try that, how do I, link them to it? How do I get them associated with it? What do I tell them? So what I can do is I can give you a number later. I don't have it on me, but you can call my research assistants in Chicago and you can get that uh, a number a call. And you're okay with me publishing that number? Like with this podcast? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have to have diabetes. That's the problem. You have to have diabetes. I mean, but, if, but if, if you want to do Qigong and you're not part of that program, you just want to try it. How do you do that? Is there a so you can look it up online. There is the form that we're using is the most common one that's used in clinical trials. And it's really easy. It's called Baduang, B-A-D-U-A-N-G. There are many different kinds of spellings because it's a Chinese alliteration, but you can, organization, but you can um, just find that. And there are some, and they just tell you how to do it. There's YouTube videos. I learned parts of Tai Chi on YouTube. Really? Do you do Tai Chi every day? I try to, I try to every single morning. I do the 24 short form. So you get up, you're in your bedroom and you're doing the whole reach and look and all of that. No, I, I do my morning run. And then when I okay. come back from my backyard, it's good to do it outside under the trees. So you, you're a runner also. I run at a glacial pace, but yes, <laughs> I try to run every day. Gotcha. Um, and is that part of your health regimen or is that just something you do to cleanse your soul? Both, both. Uh -huh. It's good for um, your body, but it also keeps me sane. For sure. I was a runner before I had all these issues. So um, I understand. Uh, and I would run, you know, I did, a, you know, some ultra marathons and that kind of stuff. So I was, I was big into it at one point and it really does. It helps you clear your head for sure. So, so you get up and you, and you, you run and then you do Tai Chi and then you go and you run the neurology clinic. Do you ever sleep? <laughs> yes, I do. And I, last night I actually got a good night's sleep. So sleep is very important, very important for people, not just for patients with sarcoidosis, but for everybody. And it's so refreshing, you know, when you get a good night's sleep, um, it restores all of your metabolic processes. It makes you sharper. It makes you in a better mood. And they've done some interesting studies. And this is a quasi research study, but 2020 did a study many years ago in the 1980s. And they took two groups of people. One, they got them drunk, way more drunk than the, 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 the limit. And then the other group, they sleep deprived them for I think 36 hours. And then they put them on a closed driving course, right? Who do you think did better, the drunks or the sleep-deprived people? I'm, I'm going to guess that the drunks did better. The drunks did much better than the sleep-deprived. What they would do is they had these cardboard cutouts. They would jump out in front of the driver during the course, and they would time how fast they would be able to stop. So there was one that was a baby. It was a, a woman pushing a baby carriage you know, across and the, the, the drunk drivers, there would be tread marks, so they would be able to stop. The people who were sleep deprived, they ran right over the cardboard cutout. So it did much worse. <laughs> so sleep definitely makes a difference. And so that's going to be hard with patients who have sarcoidosis, especially if they're on steroids. If they're uncomfortable, this is going to be difficult. So um, meditation can certainly help with this, just concentrating on your breath. You can fall asleep. The other thing you can do is, and I don't like this, but if you need to do medi medications, you can. Um, melatonin is probably the safest one, but there are also things like gabapentin, which is a, is a medication that we use for seizures, but also for numbness and tingling. That can help you sleep. 
And then there are other antidepressants that you can use. I don't like using things like Ambien or Clonopin or hardcore medications that could potentially be addictive. So you just have to really pay attention to that. Yeah. I actually take gabapentin. So yeah, I'm familiar with that. 600 milligrams, four times a day. Wow. Is that that a lot? (laughs) No, no, you've got plenty of room and you won't kill yourself with it. You're not going to get any money off the streets. I'm sorry. Although I know that people in West Virginia have smoked it. So (laughs) yes, you, you'd be surprised, but otherwise it's Uh a safe I, I like that drug just, and I don't have any money. I don't have any uh, investments in it because it, it doesn't interfere with any other medications. We use it in my chemo patients. I use it in my transplant medications um, and it's safe for your organ system. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, Dr. Tavi, you, we have, we have covered a wide range of topics here in this hour. We talked about your small fiber neuropathy and what that is and, and how rare sarcoidosis is, uh, neurosarc is. And then you've got your three-pronged approach, which is diet, which I would summarize as stay away from inflammatory foods, gluten, sugar. You didn't say dairy, but do you believe? I, I don't do a lot of dairy in my own um, practice, but okay. I know some like cheese and, and, and they want the cheese. So, and yogurt. So I don't want to say anything about dairy. It's your choice. Got it. Got it. And then exercise. And you gave us the rules for exercise and then meditation. And so when, when a patient comes to see you or do, and do you advise other doctors within your practice, since you're the chief there, do you advise other doctors to do this as well? Or is this something that's sort of native to Dr. Ginny Tavi? Well, it's native to me, but I mentioned to it, I mentioned to other doctors because it is important. It's an important part of uh, a patient's life. It's we don't just give drugs. I and I don't want to do that. I think if the patient is somebody who's my friend, and this is what I would tell my friend. Okay. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up today? Um, one important point: it gets better. It really does just hang in there. I had a one young woman who had neurosarcoidosis, beautiful woman. Um, I think she's now just 40, but when she first got it, it was up and down her spinal cord. And uh, she, she was my height. I'm only five, one, five, two, but she was maybe 200 pounds, maybe even more. She was because of the steroids. Um, she was in fashion. So can you imagine how devastating it was for her? And her husband left her because this is not what he had signed up for. So she had a kid and it was just really hard. She came with a shawl. She had acne from all the steroids on her face. She had to wear tons of makeup. We put her on the medications. It took time. It took years. And then she followed me from Cleveland to Chicago. And I saw her a year ago. She had lost all the weight. She was skinnier than I am. She was so pretty. She looked like a little Barbie doll. And she said, I'm so excited. After my appointment with you today, Dr. Tabby, I'm getting on a plane to Paris. I've never seen it before. I'm going by myself and I just want to know what it's like. And she just lit up the room. It gets better. That's great. Dr. Tabby, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And thank you so much for having me, John. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling. So many things Dr. Tabby said resonated with me, perhaps because I am in that small minority of people who have neurosarc. Let's look at that. 200,000 people in the United States total have sarcoidosis. 10% of that is 20,000 neurosarc patients, or if it's 5%, uh, that's only 10,000. So not a lot of us out there. But I got to tell you, as I mentioned before, I've done the nutrition, I've done the exercise. But I'm going to need to really push myself for the meditation or the yoga piece. I just feel like, don't turn on me here, but I I feel like I'll have to turn in my man card if I do yoga. And the people at work who do yoga and Pilates, they're the young women, uh, or it's it's my wife and her friends, uh, you know, who get together, they go to the Y, they take the class, great, Um but it's, it's not my guy buddies. It's just not. And I grew up in a rural farming community. Logging is a big thing there. 
these guys go into the woods because they make Adirondack baseball bats, and and that's a major part of the uh, industry in my local town, or where I grew up in Salisbury Center, New York, and Central New York, and um, you know, there's a lot of tough guys around, and yeah, that's a long way from my job as a news anchor, but still. Uh, I'm just I'm gonna have to push myself, but I keep hearing people say how much it works, and I I do believe that Dr. Tavi knows what she's talking about. So maybe that and the new granddaughter Addison will be enough to push me over the hump. And I'm curious about you. Are are you moved to try any of this? The diet, the exercise, the meditation, or the or or any any mind body sort of approach? Are you already doing it? Are are you having success? You can reach me at carlinagency at gmail.com, and that's also in the show notes. A quick reminder, the official Sark Fighter song is called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards from Alberta, Canada. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter, and he tells the story behind the lyrics to that song in episode 12, and you need to listen to it. You just need to listen to that song because I'll tell you what. He's playing our tune. He really is. I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark. So are you. Whether you're a caregiver, a patient, or a researcher, this is where we all gather. And you heard Dr. Tavi talk about there is a reason for hope. She talked about numerous patients, the one man who didn't even know his daughter's name, another man who couldn't stand the wind in his face, and then he shows up on a motorcycle. And, you know, they they eventually get through it. They come around, they work on these therapies, and they, they find ways to make it work. And as always, as I'm speaking to you today, my trusty dog, Dougal, is here at my feet. He's my rescue boxer, and I've got another dog named Boone and another dog named Pippa, and I am very fortunate because today all of them are here in my office helping me talk to you, and uh, they make my life so much better. One more reason to keep on fighting. So... Very quickly, um, if you are new here, you're trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, try listening to episode one with Dr. Simon Hart, one of the most listened to episodes. My story is episode two. The backstory to the founding of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Redding Wilson, the founders. She is a Sark fighter and she has been... Uh, round and round with sarcoidosis and she just dug in and said we're going to do something about this and she founded the organization that's the reason we're all here today send me an email it's in the show notes carlinagency at gmail.com follow the sark fighter on instagram and on facebook I appreciate your interest here in the Sark Fighter podcast. It just helps all of us come together. And and when you follow along, it helps me reach more people and grow the show. And it's really great if you just take a link and share it on your social media so other people in the sarcoidosis space will know what's going on with the Sark Fighter podcast. If you like it, if nothing else, just tell one person. So thanks again to Dr. Jenny Tavi for joining me here today. Let's hope that you can take heart from everything she said, maybe uh, implement some of her suggestions, and that you can find success in your battle with sarcoidosis. Until next time, keep fighting. Learn to suffer, you feel pain someday. Learn endurance, your strength will fade away. Dead man walking, trying to keep up the pace. 